Running a homestead presents its own set of challenges, but doing it on a small parcel of land in a Southern California desert with no past experience is certain to produce its share of entertaining stories and hard lessons. While most people are seeking convenience in our world, we choose the opposite. At Cozy Hills Homestead, we believe that small choices inspire big change. We choose to live our life against the grain. Welcome back to Against the Grain. I remember when we first moved into our house, we've talked about it before. Nice rural area compared to where we were um, in a small suburb of Las Vegas. We ended up moving back home from there. Um, didn't really like the city life, so we came back home to where my wife grew up. Um, it's a very rural town. Everybody knows everybody. And the beauty of this place is everyone's pretty much on the same page when it comes to the lifestyle that they want. Everyone wants animals. Most have horses, goats, and chickens. And when we did move back, uh, we just we, we couldn't wait to get a yard again. Um, from the city life we were, we didn't really have a yard. Couldn't wait to get that going again. Um, so we bought this property. And uh, once we were officially there, we thought to ourselves, you know, I think we should get some chickens. It feels like the natural thing to do. And so we did that. So that's what we're going to be talking about today in this podcast episode. If the homesteading lifestyle and having animals is something that's appealing to you, then that's awesome. It was appealing to us. We just didn't know it. If you're not sure if it is, check out our previous episode, um, the top eight reasons why we homestead and see if we can convince you to give it a try. Um, in those, we discuss more of the why behind what we do. And now that you know the why, you should be thinking to yourself, how? The short answer for us was chickens. And let's just start by saying that please check your local laws regarding keeping chickens on your property before you invest in it. Um, there's some cities that don't allow it, uh, cities that don't allow roosters, some you can have hens, but they may put a limit on the number you can have. So check around, see where you're zoned, um, see what you can actually do before you start investing in it. Because you just don't know. You don't want to spend all this money and then have your neighbors complain and you have problems. So check your local laws. The first step you should be thinking about is where to start. And we recommend starting with where. This is a significant indicator of your readiness to begin having chickens. If you don't have a place to put them, then you, there's no point in having them. The basic requirement for this is that they should be staying outside, and you've probably seen some people on TV uh, that have chickens running around their house. Um, it's not smart. It's not clean. It's not practical. Uh, so sorry, the uh, apartment people that are out there, you should probably have a yard to put your chickens in. So let's say that you do have a yard. Even a small one will do. Chickens don't take up that much space. The basic rule of thumb for chickens for outside space is eight to 10 square feet per chicken and two to three square feet in a coop. So if you have a coop that has a run and a coop in it, you can start with three or four chickens and have a little six by six area or a four by 10 area um, with a little coop in it and that'll work just fine. So once you've determined that you have enough space for them, it's time to figure out how you're going to keep them in there. And yeah, we're talking fencing, housing. It's extremely important, and it becomes increasingly important if you live in an area that's prone to visits from wild animals like we are. It reminds me of a story uh, that we just went through not, not too long ago where we ended up losing a few. So I'll kind of set the stage for you. We have a small barn that's about 
20 feet by 30 feet and inside that barn there's an 8 by 8 foot room. That's where we coop the chickens, that's where we keep the chickens in the coop. Towards the top of one wall of that, the outside wall, sits a small window that leads to the outside run. It's about five feet off the ground and I built a little ramp and the chickens walk up and down it. They roost on the poles that I installed inside the coop. They lay their eggs in there and then they have access to the run during the day. Um, most every night we close them up. We close that window. We'll just say almost every night I'm able to do that. Well this particular night it did not get done. The run on the outside is completely secured as well. It's surrounded with a chain link fence and covered with chicken wire over the top to protect them during the day from we have hawks out here, so hawks that fly over sometimes try to swoop down and get your chickens. Um, it was actually funny, I, I witnessed a hawk sitting on top of that, just waiting, trying to figure out a way to break in. Uh, luckily I was able to scare it off before that happened, but we have to worry about aerial attacks here as well. And there's also no way to dig underneath for, for the most part. Um, all the chain link is, is buried about six inches in the ground to slow down a digging type predator, like a coyote. So. We thought, hey, there's nothing getting these chickens. They're inside at night, even during the day. Uh, they're completely surrounded with chain link, and it was never a concern for us. We've never, we've never had any issues before. It was a cold winter morning, approximately 4 a.m. I was getting my jacket on to go out to feed the animals for the day before I headed off to work. And where our house is, the walk-in closet that, that's in the house, there's a window in it, and that window faces the barn that I was just describing. And at this time, we had about 12 hens and four roosters that we had uh, hatched recently. Um, the roosters were just coming of age to be processed, so they were getting old enough that we could put them in the freezer. And the hens were actually getting close to laying age, though there, we do have four older hens that, that were already laying. And as I reached into the closet, I could hear the chickens rustling around. And I thought to myself, it's way too early for them to be out. It's four o'clock in the morning. They don't usually go out until five, five thirty. So I began to worry a little bit to go check it out because I remembered that I had not shut the window the night before. I grabbed my jacket, walked outside, carrying nothing but my phone. Um, I could hear the chickens making tons of racket. It's completely dark except for my cell phone flashlight. I didn't have my big flashlight that I normally do because I just I ran out there as quickly as I could just to check it out and all you could see was bodies. Just chickens, just dead chickens. There was at least, from what I could tell, at least 10. It looked like all the roosters. It looked like several of the, of the hens. And given the fact that the flashlight wasn't that great, it couldn't really see. I could see silhouettes of things, um, but right in the corner there, um, on the outside of that chicken coop area, the chain link area, I saw a couple, couple eyes reflecting light staring back at me. And I thought to myself, okay, that's really strange. I mean, we have cats running around, but this, these eyes were about 18 inches off the ground. It wasn't one of our cats. So I ran back inside, uh, grabbed a bigger flashlight, and went back outside, and sure enough, a larger bobcat had somehow figured out how to get in. And so I did a little bit of investigation after it ran off. Uh, it looked like it had climbed the chain link, tore a hole in the chicken wire, and and just kind of hopped in. 
and walked up the ramp and just started taking as many chickens out as it could. I don't know a whole lot about bobcats. I figured they probably take one and go, but I guess they're more like foxes and just start, they just kill everything first, I, I'm guessing. That was kind of a bummer and that was kind of hard to deal with. My wife really liked those specific chickens, but you know what, that's, that's part of living in a rural area. And yeah, it was my fault leaving the window open. I didn't think anything of it. So that was hard. All that to say, just make sure that you have a safe place to put the chickens in, a safe home for them, so you don't have to worry about where they're going, so you don't have to worry about their safety. So now that you have a chicken coop, you're comfortable with the size, you're comfortable with the security, you should probably do a little bit of research on chickens to figure out what kind of breed you're looking for. As a homesteader, we're looking for more what they call dual purpose breeds, breeds that you can use as both meat and eggs. Um, so you want heavy producers and you want bigger birds. There's a lot of trendy birds out there, a lot of show birds, show breeds uh, that they breed specifically for certain characteristics that, that look pretty. Um, but what you're really looking for is you want to make sure that your breeds that you pick, first of all, complement your personality, and second of all, that fit what you want them to do best. If you want them to be strong layers, focus on that. If you, if you don't care about the meat aspect of it, focus on that. There's some really, really strong layers out there. If you want just meat, you know, you go with the Cornish cross, the, the broiler birds that they talk about. And those are strictly for meat. Um, but when you're talking chickens in general and you want a good dual purpose breed. So I'm going to discuss some of our favorite breeds. And we've had about 15 different breeds here. We actually, at one point in time, were hatching birds as well. We hatched approximately, at one point in time, we had approximately 300 chickens that we had hatched ourselves. Um, so we know a little bit about how that process goes. Uh, we know what what we were specifically breeding for, what characteristics we were looking for. And for us, since we were running a, a business by selling these farm fresh eggs, which we hope to to uh, continue to do in the future here, as soon as we can replace some of these birds that the uh, bobcat got. We were really picking breeds to make our egg cartons colorful and have large eggs, not medium eggs or small eggs. So large eggs that looked good, um, that were quality eggs. So I'm gonna go over some of our favorite breeds. Personality-wise, we have kids. We like birds that are loving and kind and docile and calm. So we tend to lean more towards the Buff Orpington, one of our favorite birds. Um, the Australorp, very, very similar, kind of a cousin to that uh, Orpington. We like Barred Rocks. Those are also very good. And the thing that we like about, first of all, the, the Buff Orpingtons is you get a strong layer that's a bigger bird. Uh, you can get 280 eggs, 300 plus eggs a year out of a Buff Orpington. The problem that some people say is they get kind of broody, meaning that when their eggs are fertile, they their natural instinct is to sit on them, right, so that they'll hatch. They'll do this for, for quite some time. They won't eat or drink, and they get very, very protective. 
And sometimes they can actually die because of it because they just overdo it. We honestly haven't had any problems with that. All of our buff Orbingtons have performed well for us, and none of them got broody, and we've had at least 10 or 12 um, purebred buff Orbingtons. Another breed that we really like, like I mentioned before, was is the uh, the Bard Rock or the Plymouth Rock. You can hear both names. They're the little gray birds with the white stripes on them. And they're not going to give you super large eggs. They're going to give you a consistent supply of good, high, medium to large eggs. They're very easy to keep well. They're very hardy birds. They're very, very good for beginners. So if you're going to go out there and, and, and purchase... Uh, a chicken to start off with get a couple get a couple barred rocks um, you're going to be very very happy with those results that third breed i was talking about uh, that we really like is the australorb it's one of my favorites because i like black birds they're very very cool because they're black but then when in, they're in the sunlight their feathers are green and they lay usually very large eggs consistently they're also another big thick breed so that you can use it for meat if you need to um, when they're done laying and they're just very kind birds as well we've always loved our ostrilorps and i know that you will too so some of the other more uh fun breeds we'll say um very solid layers as well smaller birds so not necessarily going to be awesome for meat but i know most of you guys have probably seen blue eggs those usually come from Americanas. Um, those are awesome birds. They, I mean, how cool is it to have blue eggs? It's always fun. It was one of our most exciting chickens to, to raise because we just could not wait to get those wonderfully blue eggs. Um, very, very, from our experience, very solid layers. They would produce, I would say, four to six eggs a week at some times. Um, so you're going to get a good good producer of a quality, good-looking egg, and it's going to add some color to your basket, which is, which is awesome. We also have, uh, have had uh, black copper morans. We've had cuckoo morans, so anything from that moran family, uh, black copper morans being the, 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 the darkest color, those are those nice dark chocolate eggs that, you're, that you see. Uh, those are actually very, very good. Not as heavy layers as, as most are, but they are bigger birds. If you wanted to, to use them for meat, that would be a better option for you than, say, an Americana. And we really like having that color contrast between that blue and that real dark, dark, dark brown egg. We really enjoyed having uh, our black copper morans. Unfortunately, uh, they, they got old as well, and they, they ended up dying off too. And another one of our favorite colorful eggs is actually the mixture. So if you breed a black copper moran and an Americana, so you have a dark chocolate egg layer bred with a blue egg layer, you actually get what's called an olive egger. And it's a deep olive green color. Uh, it's very, very pretty to put in your basket or your egg carton. Um, and that's just one of the fun, fun things that you can do with breeding is you can take some of these other breeds, crossbreed them with other, other different breeds and, and produce exactly what you want. And that's what we were breeding our chickens for is 
We were trying to get the best quality eggs for our customers as possible. And they always expected them to be, to be gorgeous eggs as well. So we enjoyed doing that. Okay, some of the best, highest production egg layers. Now, these are personality-wise a little bit more aggressive birds. They're a little bit more flighty birds. They're a little bit more hyperactive from our experience. And the number one, which you'll see uh, is used as the egg, produ egg producers in the U.S. market, mass market, uh, that's going to be the, the Leghorn. It's spelled L-E-G-H-O-R-N, Leghorn, but everybody knows that it's pronounced Leghorn, and they're these beautiful white chickens that produce these huge white eggs. When you go to the supermarket, majority of those eggs that are white were produced by a Leghorn, and that's because they produce a ton of eggs. However, they're very flighty. They're very nervous. You can't just walk up to one, pick it up, and hold it. It's going to run away from you. It's going to fly out of the coop. It's going to go crazy. That's the only thing we didn't like about them. Uh, we probably won't breed Leghorns again unless we get a high demand for them. And that's just because they're hard to work with, but they do produce like crazy. Another popular heavy production breed is the Rhode Island Red. And these are great birds. Very, very good. They have kind of a reddish brown tinge to the egg color, which I think is really cool. They're high producers. They're a little bit larger birds, so you probably could use them for meat. The only issue with them is they're very aggressive. They, even if they're not a rooster and you walk in there, they may run up on you. They sometimes are, are mean or protective. They're usually on the high end of the pecking order. If you have a flock of very docile birds and you throw a Rhode Island Red in there, it's going to spice it up a little bit, um, sometimes in a bad way. They may, uh, they may harm the other birds. Not to say that every bird's going to be like that. We had a Rhode Island Red first. Um, our first batch of, of chickens, we raised 25 chickens, and I believe we had 10 Buff Orpingtons, 10 Rhode Island Reds, and five Australorps, I want to say. And the, the, the Reds, they worked out okay. Um, they were high production, but they did boss everybody around a little bit, and that's just what's expected with that type of bird. Um, it's a little bit on the more aggressive side, so if you, if you have them free-ranging and, and your kids are out and stuff like that, they may chase them. They may. Um, if, you're, if you're wanting something more docile, don't go with a Rhode Island Red at first. Get a little bit more experience with a, with a calmer bird, and then uh, fall in love with those first, and then you can start introducing a little bit more aggressive bird. And there's actually breeds that were bred specifically for production. And one of those uh, breeds is the production red, hence the name production red. And so what the breeders did is they took two birds, most commonly a Delaware, which is a high production bird, lays a white egg, and they bred it with a Rhode Island red, another high production. And these, these birds are built to produce as many eggs as possible. You might get an egg six out of seven days a week consistently, and these eggs are massive. We had some production reds. Sometimes they call them red sex links, um, 
and that's just a term that they use because uh, you can judge the the gender or the sex of the bird by the coloring when they're when they hatch, which is kind of cool. So anytime you see the word sex link, it means that the the genetic sex of that bird is linked to its coloring. So it's easy when you hatch a bunch of birds that you can kind of decide which ones are roosters and which ones aren't. Um, so it's good for good for business being able to sell just just hens. But those birds were specifically bred to be high production. We had several of them, and they would these these eggs were so huge, twice the size of a you know barred rock egg, just massive eggs, and you couldn't even close the egg carton. Some of these eggs were so big, and uh, it was kind of cool. They were very very good birds. A little bit more calm than the Rhode Island Red, but they're still a little bit more on the nervous uh, nervous side. You're not going to be able to uh, enjoy them as much as, as say, uh, a Buff Orpington or a Australorp or something along those lines. And now I'm just going to talk a little bit about the pretty birds. We liked raising some birds. We like a very, very, very diverse flock. Uh, we liked to look at, at these birds as much as possible, too. So we bred... Some of our favorites, I, I, I'm a huge uh, Silver Laced Wyandotte fan. I think they're very, very cool looking. If you go on our website, it's that black and white bird that's in our, uh, I believe it's in the About Us section or maybe the homepage. Beautiful black and white bird. Um, those are really cool. Not awesome layers, but they're very, very pretty to look at. Um, so when you're, you're bringing customers by, Hey, this is our, this is our flock that we get our eggs from. They always point those ones out and think that they're the coolest. Some of the other ones, Americanas are always cool, but we had, uh, we had a white Americana rooster and, uh, his name was Hercules and he was very, very cool to look at pure white. He served us really well for a long time. We like Brahmas. If you guys like bigger uh, bigger birds. We had a Brahma rooster that we bred a lot with, um, a light Brahma, and we really like those birds. They're big, um, they're they're calm, they're not super good egg layers, but they're bigger birds, and uh, they'll they'll do they'll do a good enough job to 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 pay their way around here. Some of the breeds that we never did were specifically show breeds, like silkies. We're we're not huge silky fans. We don't do a lot of cochins, and we don't do a lot of. Uh, frizzles and, and those types of birds. They're great birds. Um, if you want to keep them around, great. We're looking more for, for production and uh, dual purpose capabilities, and those ones don't do a very good job at either of them. But if you want a good companion bird, uh, look at look at those as well. They kind of have a cool hairdo. The silkies do, the frizzles do. Those are some pretty cool birds to take a look at. May not be good for a homestead, uh, but if you want something just to just to make people talk, that's, that's definitely some of the ones you want to look at. So now that you've kind of decided, you're ready, you got your, got your coop, you got your yard, you got you're the breeds that you're looking at, now it's a matter of how do we get these birds. That's a big issue right now in, in Southern California. If you guys aren't all aware, we have a poultry ban due to a viral... Uh, Newcastle disease outbreak, and this disease is causing a lot of problems out here. It's illegal to hatch right now, so we can't hatch anything. It's illegal to transport, so you can't buy anything. It's illegal to ship 
chickens or poultry into the state, at least uh, the southern parts of the, of the state, Los Angeles County, San Bernardino County, Riverside County, um, Kern County, Ventura County, all these southern California counties, it's actually impossible uh, to get birds right now. And that's just due to the, this, they're trying to stop this spread. But it's been since 2018. We don't know how long it's going to be. Um, so it could be several, I mean, several more months. Hopefully it's not. Because I know what I'm doing as soon as they lift the ban. We're going to be purchasing a lot of chickens. So you're, if you're in the Southern California area, you can check out the Department of Public Health, I believe, or the Agricultural Health. And it talks a little bit about what that Newcastle disease is. They've had mandatory kill orders, so there's having millions of chickens having to be killed. Right now, we don't have that problem. We are in a quarantine area, but it's not a mandatory kill area, so we can keep our chickens alive as best as possible. If you remember, I mentioned that we had at one point in time about 300 chickens that we had hatched ourselves. And what we were preparing for was selling these chicks. We were a hatchery at the time. Not only were we selling eggs to eat, but we were actually selling chicks. We were selling pullets, which are kind of uh, adolescent chickens. We were selling roosters. We were selling hens that were already laying for those people that didn't want to wait six months for their, for their hen to start laying. We were going for all of that for that next season. We rescued some chickens from a farm down in San Bernardino, and we brought them home, and... As every normal chicken owner will do, uh, you quarantine any new chickens that you're going to introduce into your, your flock just in case they have a, some sort of a disease or a respiratory illness or something along those lines. You always quarantine them uh, for two weeks, a month, something like that. We did a month. We decided to do a month. And this was before the uh, Newcastle disease outbreak, which actually originated in San Bernardino area, Riverside counties, st areas like that. So we quarantined the birds, and there was no problems. They were healthy. They were laying. Uh, no respiratory symptoms at all. Two, three weeks later, um, after we introduced them into our normal flock of everybody, they, their symptoms started manifesting and they started getting runny noses, they started sneezing, they started coughing, they stopped laying, and we thought, oh my goodness, what, what in the world's going on? So, kind of funny story, we ended up taking a couple of our chickens to the vet. We took uh, two, I believe two, one or two, uh, to a vet that specialized in birds, and so it was, it was funny because the, the vet that was there, it was uh, actually in one of the cities close by. Everyone had their cats and dogs, and we had uh, a cat carrier full of chickens, and people thought that that was pretty funny. And so the vet saw him and looked at him and said, you know what, I can't really tell you what it is. He asked us a weird question. He's like, so what are these chickens for? And we said, you know, we're, we're outdoorsy-looking people, but he didn't want to offend us uh, by assuming that we were going to kill them and eat them, ultimately. He wanted to make sure that they weren't our pets. So we just kind of grinned and said, well, we have an entire flock we use for food. And he said, okay, well, I always ask because people get offended sometimes because I can't just assume that they're, these, these agricultural animals are used for their purpose anymore. People have weird pets now. And so he kind of laughed at that. He said, okay, here's what I'm going to recommend. He said, I have a buddy 
who's down at UC Davis, which is one of the uh, California universities in this area, and they have a very, very well-known veterinary program. And he said it's down in San Bernardino. They have a testing center because there's this, this disease that's come out. At this time, we didn't know that it was Newcastle. And he recommended we take some chickens, three of them, down to this facility in San Bernardino and basically let them do necropsies on them, meaning that, hey, to save the flock, sacrifice a few birds. Yes, they're not going to survive the necropsy because they have to kill them to do it, uh, but they will do all the tests. They will do virology tests. They're going to they're gonna figure out um, if there's bacteria. They did all sorts of tests. And because of the Newcastle outbreak that was starting at that time, the government was actually sponsoring these tests. So it only cost us 20 bucks to go down there and drop off some chickens and they send the, the vet the results and we talked about it later. And uh, thankfully, none of our birds had Newcastle. But unfortunately, they had all sorts of other respiratory issues. Uh, they had, I don't remember exactly what the disease was, but they ended up having a respiratory infection that basically wouldn't kill them, but it would stop them from laying eggs. That was a big stick to our gut because we were literally making money off of their eggs and we couldn't sell them anymore. As soon as they started exhibiting symptoms, we stopped altogether. But we asked the vet and he said, yeah, it's, it's okay to sell the eggs or it's okay to eat the eggs. Um, don't worry about that. So I asked him, hey, you know, what about meat? Because, you know, we can eat these birds too. He's like, you know what? I, I wouldn't do it. Maybe feed it to the dog. So we're thinking, okay, we have 300 chickens that all have these symptoms. What are we going to do with 300 chickens that, that aren't going to lay eggs? We, we're, we're going through feed like crazy. We can't afford this. This is, this is devastating to our, to our uh, process. And so we decided uh, we're going to have to exterminate the flock. And it was a really hard thing to do, um, especially not knowing what the best method is. Uh, we just kind of went for it. So we, we called up the animal control department in uh, Los Angeles County and said, hey, we have these chickens that we have to kill. By law, we're not allowed to burn the carcasses because of fire risks. And we can't throw them in the dumpster. But the only legal way to dispose of a chicken or a dog or whatever is to incinerate it if it's infected with, a, with some sort of a virus. So I said, you, you're not going to let us incinerate it, so what are we going to do? And they pretty much said, figure it out. Well, with some debate back and forth, we were actually able to get them to send people out to pick up these carcasses. They said, we'll make you a deal. If you do all of the killing, we'll send a truck out there and we'll come pick up the bodies as long as they're in uh, trash bags, double bagged. They had all specific requirements. They wanted them double bagged, dipped in bleach, sprayed in bleach. And they had these guys show up when basically looking like hazmat suits and they're spraying everything because they were really concerned about the Newcastle that was breaking out at that time. So they ended up actually coming in and picking them up and they had a truckload of, you know, chicken carcasses, basically. And so that was really hard because we had, you know, like I said, about 300. And we were ready to sell them. We were ready to have a, a booming business. We had people calling left and right trying to purchase these chickens. 
and we had to tell them, hey, we had to exterminate our entire flock. That really set us back because we couldn't purchase chickens anymore. We had a few left over, but we, but we couldn't purchase chickens anymore. So we were down a huge amount, and now the chickens that we have are the chickens that we have. And so that's, that's what uh, really bummed us out about that. But it actually came as, a, it came as a blessing, though, because we would have either had to kill all those chickens anyway because of the Newcastle, or we would be feeding 300 chickens and not being able to move them anywhere. And that would have sunk us completely. So blessing in disguise, we were actually able to come out on top of that situation and uh, we're doing okay at this time. So where are you going to get your chickens? I don't recommend going on Craigslist. I don't recommend uh, unless you know the person who's selling them. It's easiest if you live in an area that you can actually just order some chicks. Just order some chicks online or you can call them. Your local feed stores usually will sell them during the springtime. So coming up pretty soon is chick season. And uh, during the springtime, you'll be able to find them as long as you don't live in Southern California. You'll be able to find them at your feed stores. Just ask them. They usually have catalogs too. Uh, they usually have suppliers that they may not have chicks, but they may be able to order chicks for you. The The problem with ordering chicks, no, it's not really a problem, but the concern that you have when you're ordering chicks is they require a certain number to be sent. And this is because they're being shipped in a box. They're hatched. Day one, they're shipped in a box. Obviously, day-old chicks uh, don't regulate their temperatures very well, so they all have to huddle up. So they require you to order an X amount so that more they have an increased chance of survival uh, when they get to you. You may end up with some dead chicks in your box. It's not the best way to do it, but it's one of the only ways people can do it is 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 buying them online and having them shipped to your house or your post office. But what I recommend is finding someone that's local that either hatches chicks on their own or has some ready, form a relationship with them, uh, ask them questions, uh, get a good feel of what they're doing, and see if that's someone you want to do business with. Like I said, if you're in the Southern California area and uh, you're looking for chicks or chickens, it ain't going to happen right now. Just Just stay patient. As soon as that ban is lifted, contact us. We'll, we'll have some stuff ready for you guys for sure because um, we love being able to do that. We love being able to serve our local community with quality birds that they can get um, that don't have to get shipped in a box. So you can stop by the homestead, come on over. We'd love to meet you guys and take some chicks home. But that's not going to happen until uh, that ban is lifted. Once that ban's lifted, we'll be okay. And we'll be able to provide you guys uh, some chickens at whatever age you want them. If you want laying hens, we'll, we'll have some then. Uh, if you want roosters, we'll probably have some then. Because if once we start hatching again, once they lift that ban, uh, then we'll start hatching again. And you guys can have a local source. If you're not local out here, find someone local to you. Or find a hatchery that's close to you or someone that's doing it. Ask around to some farms around you if you live in those types of areas and see if you can get your hands on some. So now you have your chicks, and they're in the box, and you, you're, you're hearing them chirp, 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 as you drive them home or pick them up from the post office, and you're thinking, what in the world am I supposed to do with these things? Let's back up just a second. Housing chicks is a little bit different than housing chickens. So chicks don't need very much, okay? 
All they need is a little box. What they're called is brooders. And what we use for our brooders, if we're doing a small hatch, so let's say 25 chicks, you can go to your department, local department store and get a giant tub. What we do is we take those tubs and we line the bottom of them with uh, paper towels and put a feeder and water in there and then you just put the chicks in there and get a heat lamp. And once you have the heat lamp and the brooder, you're good to go. Um, what we like to do first off as well is, is give them somewhere to roost, start to learn how to roost. So we put little dowels, little uh, cylindrical pieces of wood in there so that they can learn how to roost. We also cut the, uh, the middle of the top of the, the lid of the container and we put chicken wire across that so we have something to, some air flow. You're not just putting the lid on there. And you just watch them. They'll, it won't take them very long. They'll start growing and growing and growing. Um, they'll start getting feathers. They're not, they'll lose their fluff, and they go through this really ugly stage. But you know, two, three weeks in, they start getting real ugly because they start forming feathers instead of fur. The thing you want to watch with chicks, especially when it comes to their health, is sometimes they, when they poop, it gets stuck on their little fur on their butt and it's called pasty butt and what happens is that they poop and it dries and it sticks and they poop and it dries and it sticks and then it's a giant clog and you have to get that off so take a little warm water and just kind of massage it off and pull it off you should do you should be checking that once a day twice a day if you can make sure that they're not uh, getting those types of issues because you could back them up and they'll they'll die most of the time they, they eat and drink just fine right off the bat. To make the water more enticing, you can put a little sugar in it. Um, it helps when you get them out of the box from the store to give them a little bit more energy uh, to move around and start eating more. You, you uh, put a little sugar in the water. It's also recommended to help with the pasty butt issue to put a little vinegar, apple cider vinegar, pure apple cider vinegar, into their water as well, and that'll help them to not get as thick, uh, thick of stools. As long as you're watching that, the chicks are pretty easy. They'll, they're going to eat. You're going to keep them uh, fed. You can go to your local feed store. They have little chicken feeders and chicken or chick feeders and chick waters. They have, basically have two types of chick starter, and one of them's medicated, one of them's unmedicated. And that's up to you whether you want to do the medicated or not. Uh, we did the medicated at one point in time. We just stopped because, first of all, we didn't see any difference. And uh, second of all, we, we were trying to avoid medication as much as possible because whatever they eat, you're going to eventually eat because we do eat our birds. So um, just be aware of that. There's, there's those two types of uh, chick starter, and it's fairly inexpensive. They can eat that for quite some time. Don't feed your chicks or actually any chicken that's not laying eggs consistently. So even up to that six-month mark when they start actually laying, don't give them lay feed. Um, the reason for that is it's high in calcium, which is good for chickens that are laying eggs because that's a majority of what the eggshell is, is calcium. They need that supplement. But if they're not laying eggs, it can it, they can get too much calcium, and that could actually cause some health con concerns and actually kill them as well. So just be aware of that. Stay away from that. They have they have they have chick feed, and then they have grow feed, and then they have lay pellets or lay crumble or whatever you want. Um, but those are the that's the natural progression. 
How do you know if your chickens are ready to go outside from the brooder? Once they have all their feathers, they are well insulated and they can actually maintain their body temperature a little bit better. So you can start putting them outside then. Now this is obviously gonna depend on where you live. We live in Southern California, so the weather is usually pretty good all the time. Uh, but if you're in a, a uh, northern state where it's negative 20 degrees, it's probably not a good idea to throw those birds out there until they're really ready. Um, but if you're in a warmer climate or in the springtime, which is usually chick season like we were saying, then you can go ahead and put them outside in their chicken coop uh, when they have all their feathers. And you'll notice when they have all their feathers because when they don't have all their feathers, they look ugly as heck. They're not very good looking. Um, they look awkward, you know, just like normal teenagers, right? So you'll know they'll have all their feathers and they'll be ready to go. They'll look more like a chicken. Like I said, depending on the breed, it's going to take them about six months to start laying eggs. And what's really cool is they start to lay eggs and they're these little tiny eggs. They're called peewee eggs. It was actually uh, an old legend saying that it's a farmer's delicacy to have peewee eggs. So we would have people order peewee eggs because we had pretty much uh, hens that were at all ages. And they're some of the most flavorful eggs you'll get. Sometimes you'll get a weird egg uh, and it'll have two yolks in it. They haven't quite figured out how to lay a, a good egg yet. And it, they're really, really cool. It's really exciting. You've waited all this time and you finally got something that you can actually eat from these chickens. And it, it's an amazing feeling and it's something that you'll definitely enjoy. So just stick with it. If you want something that's gonna lay faster, get a legern. They lay, they start laying between four and five months instead of six. Anyway, it's a lot of fun getting those first eggs and getting them in that carton. Once those chickens actually start laying eggs more, um, you might need to supplement their calcium. One way to do this is you can actually crush up their eggshells and feed them back to them. And that, that works. Um, another way to do it is they have uh, oyster shells that you can buy actually as, as a calcium supplement. You just put it in a little box um, on the ground or a little pail on the ground and we actually put one in a like an old Tupperware container and we screwed it to the wall so it wasn't on the ground. But they, they're only going to eat as much as they need as a supplement. If you're noticing that your eggshells are very, very thin, this might also be cause for uh, supplementing that calcium intake. So just watch your birds and see how they react. Look at their eggs and see how, how that works. Another thing about farm fresh eggs is sometimes you get some weird things. And I'm going to say that they're weird only because when the average person goes to their supermarket and buys a dozen eggs and they crack those eggs and they put them in their pan, they all look exactly the same. That's because of the way that the market wants, wants them to be you're gonna get a bunch of different stuff. So some, some yolks are gonna be darker than others. Some might actually have a little red spot on them. That's just because when the, when the hen was making it, it, it burst a blood vessel, you know, and that's normal. Now the food industry, so the, the agricultural industry, will actually scan every single egg and if they have any blemishes, they'll get rid of them. They'll just throw them in the trash. That's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to get a good return on our investment. Those That stuff that will not hurt you. It will not hurt you um, if, if there's a little tiny red spot. And if you have a rooster and the egg is fertilized, 
that won't hurt you either. You'll notice that it's fertilized. If you look at the yolk, it has like a little white bullseye on it. It'll have a ring surrounded by another ring. That means it's fertilized. Great. If you were to incubate it, it would be a chick, but it's not going to hurt you to eat that. So don't be concerned when they're not all the same. You're going to get, sometimes you're going to get, like I said, a double yolk. Sometimes you're going to get a, a lighter yolk. Sometimes you're going to get a darker yolk. A darker yolk is obviously a healthier yolk and a much tastier yolk, but they're, they're, they're not going to be perfect. And that's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. Chicken didn't do anything wrong. That's a part of their life. It's just that the food industry tries to take out all the imperfections. So we've we've become accustomed to perfect product every time. And that's just not how real life works. So you have your chickens, you're getting eggs, you've done everything you can do. They're happy, they're healthy, you're happy, you're healthy. You're actually putting food on your table with your land. It's an amazing feeling to be able to do something as simple as get a chicken, as long as you feed it, make sure it has water, it's gonna provide you a product. There's always an old saying that livestock are the best employees. They don't call off. They always give you a product. As long as you give them something, food and water, they're going to give you something. And chickens are one of the easiest ones to do that with. And it's really exciting. We're excited for you if you've done that journey. I really hope that you continue that. We're going to talk a little bit in another episode about breeding. There's just a lot that goes into breeding that uh, doesn't necessarily need to be covered in this one. This one's more just getting you guys access to some chickens, some information regarding chickens, getting some eggs on your table. When we start talking about breeding, we're going to go a little bit more into more detail, so stay tuned for that as well. We'll also do an episode on uh, processing chickens, butchering them, and uh, putting them in your freezer. So stay tuned for that. We're excited that you have eggs on your table, or if you're thinking about putting eggs on your table, we highly recommend it, and you're gonna love every second of it. And once again, if you haven't followed us on Instagram, if you haven't checked out the website, look look us up on Instagram, uh, at Cozy Hills Homestead. Look at us on our website, CozyHillsHomestead.com. Check out what we got going on. Subscribe to the podcast. We're going to try to update things as much as possible. But if you look at the website, we've got a lot of stuff going on right now. So stay tuned for all the stuff that's going coming through. And uh, we're excited to hear from you.